question 75 already. It seems like every time we're up here, it's like gets further and further. What are we more than halfway there now? Yeah, I'm just so thankful for the opportunities to be here at this church. Uh, just looking back, I remember when we, seems like every time I get up here, I have to reflect and think we were coming in those doors, what, three years and change ago, and what do we have, the theology night that you guys were having the debate, or not debate, but the panel of elders you guys had, and, you know, it was a blessing to see, and just to see the interaction, and how the theology was, it was, it was pretty evident that I wanted to be here right away, but just in preparation and a message like this and just you get convicted <laughs> of a sin, you're like, well, there's no way I'm not guilty of this sin. There's no way everybody I know, but you're not really thinking about everybody you know when you're preparing. The Spirit is doing His work in you and I'm so thankful for the Lord's mercy. If it was based on our worthiness, then the pulpit would be empty. And so... So grateful for the conviction of sin that happens and how the Lord is ten, you know, gives us a tender conscience to sin and a willingness to deal with it. And just going through this catechism, I get kind of sad. It's almost like when you finish a book of the Bible, like you're saying bye to a friend for a while, right? Even though you know you can open it up again, right? But you always seem to learn the Spirit teaches us things that are new. And it's not like we have to say goodbye to the catechism. I mean... We should catechize our kids. I mean, I started to catechize our kids when Pastor Paul gave me these books. And, you know, it's just like some other people. I thought that um, it was a Roman Catholic thing, but it's not. It just simply means to teach. And it's something that parents, that we should do. And even if you're not a parent, you should be learning and growing. You should be taught by the Spirit. You should have your elders be teaching you. And we have no need of a teacher, but that doesn't mean we don't need teachers, right? It's like the Spirit leads us in all truth, and we've seen plenty of growth through these catechisms. I know myself, uh, you can think that you know something well, and then the Lord will always teach you something new. So I'm very grateful for just the repetition that you see in the catechisms and the comprehensive systematic theology you see there from start to finish. You see the Word of God proclaimed with, with truth and consistency, and clarity, and it gives us this understanding where, like the writer of Hebrews says, we can run the race boldly. We can run the race with endurance, um, and we can boldly look to the Lord when we fail. And our strength must come from the Lord Jesus because he is the author and finisher of our faith so that we don't get caught in these same sins that easily beset us. And when we do, and we will, we come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need and we may find help from the Lord, that we may confess and forsake our sins. So pray that the Lord helps us this night tonight. I'll start with the word of prayer, and let's get into this. Father, thank you for this opportunity once again, Lord, to proclaim your word. I pray, Father, that it would cut us inwardly, Lord, that we may live outwardly, Lord, to your glory, and that we may be attentive, Lord, that you may bless not only the hearers, but the speaker as well, that we may leave here with hearts uh, that are repentant, Lord, hearts that you have circumcised, hearts that you desire to live godly 
in the inward parts, Lord. We know you desire truth, and we pray you would do all this to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen. So whenever we hear sound preaching, which we hear plenty of it at this church, it should comfort us, but it should also rebuke us. So a topic like this, when we get into the topic of adultery, there's some things that I had to consider. Well, I'm going to say that as children in the room, right? But the Lord does not shy away from truth. It doesn't have to be X-rated for us to proclaim truth. We need to hear, you shall not. I used to like what I hear from Spurgeon years ago. It means you shall never, ever, ever do this, right? And that's what we need to think about when we hear something like this. So a quote I thought that would be fitting to get us started from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says that, he said that Christianity does not do away with the law as a, as a portrayal of life. What it does is add grace to it, enabling us to carry out the law. If we were not Christians, if we were not regenerate, there'd be no way we would be able to keep the law of God, right? And we know we don't keep it perfectly. We fail. We fail all the time. But when it comes to this sin, there are a lot of warnings in Scripture that we should take very serious that don't just come out of the blue. They don't just come overnight. Uh, Dr. Jones, I believe, was quoting in his own words, Titus 2, 11 and 12, which says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And we know from what the apostle told us, this present age is very evil. Okay, So... We are outgunned without Christ because not only is this present age evil, but so are we apart from Christ. Grace instructs us and teaches us and enables us. That is to say that grace causes us to change. The Christian is a new creature in Christ. The law itself is a means of grace. Now, I don't mean that we climb up to God through the law. That's not what I'm saying. I used to not understand that when I would hear a lot of Reformed people say that, that the law is a means of grace. But what I believe that means is, is that it is the grace of God to hear the law of God, to even know that we're sinners. It's the law, it's a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ, that we might be saved by faith. So grace also teaches us and causes us to obey the Lord. Without the grace of God, you wouldn't fly to Christ. Without the grace of God, you wouldn't love God because God has to first love you and shed his grace upon you. For by grace you saved through faith, and that is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, right? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. A.W. Pink said in this matter, what we're going to discuss tonight, to mortify the lust of the flesh, to be crucified unto the world, to overcome the devil, to die daily unto sin, and to live unto righteousness, to be meek and lowly in heart, trustful and obedient, pious and patient, lowly and gentle, is a task far, far beyond the poor resources 
of fallen human nature. So what he's saying is it's impossible for us to do these things. It's just not possible apart from God. So we desperately need to put our sin to death. So which is, that leads us to question 75, which is the seventh commandment? And the answer is the seventh commandment is thou shall not commit adultery, Exodus 20, 14. As we move to the second table of the law, which I think we had already got going last week, the prohibition of marital covenant breaking is the focus here, but it isn't limited to that. The meaning of the context here is physical adultery. The Hebrew word naf, meaning to commit physical adultery, that is to go outside of the 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 marriage covenant and to have sex. It's a verb. It means to break the covenant of marriage with unlawful sex. Sorry if I'm being redundant here. I'm just trying to make sure we get this here. Proverbs 632 states, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. So when a man takes another man's wife, Proverbs says that he lacks understanding. And I believe that this, if we can develop this for a second, it mars the image of God. We say in what sense? Well, what God has joined together, the Bible says in Genesis, let not man separate. And when he or she, who's made in the image of God, goes outside of the covenant and engages in unlawful sex with someone who is married, God's image is being marred. Why? Because the two are one flesh. This is why adultery is a crime. It's always been a crime. It's never not been a crime. God has never changed his mind on this. So covenantal life has always existed in the lives of the people of God. This is not new revelation. It may come to a shock to some of us, but when God said you shall not commit adultery, the people of God already knew that. Okay, if you turn to Genesis chapter 20, verse 3. Yes. It says here, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man. Verse three. Verse three. Yeah, verse three. Yeah. So it says, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. So through oral tradition, the Jews would have known that adultery was not only wrong, but a crime. Because look what the Lord said to him here. Indeed, you are a what? Dead. A dead man. A dead man because what he had done was unlawful. Okay, And obviously, Abimelech didn't do that, right? But God was warning him because he was about to do that. Okay, thanks to Abraham's lack of truth, right? You know, so we see way before we get the tablets on Mount Sinai, we see that they would have understood this, all right? Um, Joseph is another one. Okay, why did he flee when he was in Potiphar's house? Because he knew what she was about to do was evil. Right, 
So he knew that. So again, oral tradition, you know, we know that in the mind of the people of God, God had communicated to them through this and that was passed down. So examples of this violation were not new to them. So another example I'll give in Proverbs 6 in verse 23, you don't have to always turn here. I'm going to be bouncing around a lot. For the commandment is a lamp and the law, a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. So we see here the commandment was a lamp. It's consistent with Psalm 119, one of the longest Psalms in the Bible. I think it's the longest, I believe. What's that? Yeah, by far. <laughs> 105 says, God's word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? We know that the law is that light. Reproofs and these instructions are a way of life for God's elect. And God's commands, they protect us and keep us from all sin, but especially the sin of lust. So when this harlot came around, and the adulterous woman, and she prayed on this man's life. The imagery that's being communicated here is that this man was reduced to a crust of bread. Now, what that's saying is he was stripped down to nothing. Okay, This is the result of how this heinous sin, once he gets its hooks in. And that fire that came to his bosom, that burned his clothes, the coals that seared his feet. This is a picture of someone who commits adultery. It's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of judgment, okay? And it's not a sin. Like, we know God doesn't take any sin lightly, okay? But God does deal with adultery. And it isn't limited. Verse 29, it says, he who goes, it isn't limited to a man. In verse 29, he who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. It's pretty self-explanatory, but the woman can be guilty too, right? It's not like whenever we hear man, we know it's not just limited to man, right? We know it applies to women as well. Physical adultery. That's the context of the seventh commandment. So, but this word naf in Hebrew, it's not the only way that it's used for adultery. So Jeremiah 3.9, and this is one you should probably mark down. It's used for idolatrous worship. And we'll see how this is connected deeply connected to this sin and why those who read this commandment who thought they were innocent of it, we'll see here in a minute, they were far mistaken. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. It doesn't mean that she had sex with inanimate objects. Okay, It meant that her idolatrous worship 
was a spiritual idolatry, an unfaithfulness, a covenantal unfaithfulness. We, we remember that God served Israel a certificate of what? Divorce. Okay, Israel was unfaithful to God. Okay, old covenant Israel. And how was that? How was that? Okay, as the people of God, they went and played the harlot. I, I can't remember the verse here. I meant to write it down, but um, I think it's in Hosea um, when he said, will a man take back his wife? He said, yet you've played the harlot with many lovers and you come back to me, says the Lord, right? So we're in great need of, of forgiveness when it comes to this sin. I mean, this is a sin that men and women battle all the time, okay, with our eyes, with our thoughts, with our desires, okay? We'll see that here in a second. In Exodus 20, 17, okay, I don't want to spoil whoever's going to be going on that one, but we are commanded not to covet our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's goods, okay? Here the Hebrew word is shamad. It is a transliteration. It means to desire or to take pleasure in. Not in a good way, but as the lexicon puts it, in a bad sense of inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire. See, this should, this should address a lot of what we were talking about last week, about when, when Steve brought the message about murder. Okay, We know that murder begins in the heart. And it's a crime, just like adultery, okay? In order for someone to murder someone, they have to have hatred in their heart. They have to have a disregard of this person's existence, that they are made in the image of God. And so the same kind of goes with adultery. When you think, you know, you are really doing something that's unlawful, but it's easy for people to think, well, I've never, I've got that sin intact. I kind of checked that one off my box. So when Christ dies for my sins, it's not adultery. Well, people are wrong when they think that. And I think as we get further into this, I pray that, especially those who grow up in church, right? They should not think that way. Crimes, not all sins are crimes, right? God demanded death penalty for certain sins. And God is holy. God is pure. God is just. He has the right to say, what is evil and what is good and what to what degree so crimes certain crimes that were sins are worthy of death even in the new covenant we see this in romans 1 those who practice such things are worthy of death so we'll see the sins of adultery as we keep going is is a sin that begins inwardly works its way out the heart and mind are synonymous in scripture there's really no distinction in how they're they're used so in Mark chapter 7, you can turn there. I'm sorry, this verse, it realized, I realized it later that it came later in my notes, but I just, it came to my mind, so I addressed it a little bit earlier. So as you turn there, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. So, so this is Jesus, this is the Lord speaking. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. 
And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. So you look at all these sins, and where do they flow from? They flow from the heart. And so we should mark them and understand that these things don't come out of us. They don't begin outside here. They begin right in here. Right in here. And Jesus rebuked to the disciples when he asked them were they without understanding. Their focus was external. They were focused on these foods. They weren't focused on what they should have been focused on. So he asked them and rebuked them. But notice that we have another external focus. Like I was saying a minute ago, the moral law can have this external focus. Our defilement begins from the wickedness of our hearts. What did Jeremiah say? The heart is righteous and above all things desperately holy. No, he did not say that. Yeah, it's quite opposite. The heart is wicked. It's deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know our hearts? Our hearts are evil. Okay, Jesus said to his own disciples about giving gifts. He said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your father give to those who ask in reference to the spirit? I mean, apart from Christ, we're, ho- we're pretty hopeless. We're, we're nothing but hopeless. Okay, these evil thoughts, these adulteries, these fornications, these thefts, these are the things that defile us. Okay, may the Lord help us to see that. As many Jews believed, they were not guilty of adultery because they never were unfaithful in their marriage. They never fornicated. They were greatly mistaken. We even had this question last week about, uh, well, if they weren't guilty of the physical act, Like, how would that relate to Jesus saying, if you look with lust? Well, many Christians grow up in church and they commit the same error. They say, oh, I've never touched a man. I've never touched a woman. I'm good on this. Me and God, he only got to forgive me for the other nine. This one checked off. I got it. It doesn't work that way. Let us not make the fallacy of divorcing the spirit from the flesh because we're living souls and don't jump on me Paul but we're living souls with the spirit and a body I can just hear he's called me an antinomy <laughs> talking about trichotomy dichotomy it's another discussion but when we hear a command we should never divorce the spiritual realm from the physical realm what are we talking about here tonight you shall not commit adultery okay when someone cheats on their spouse. It is both a spiritual and a physical act of wickedness that's taking place, okay? When someone curses someone, there is both a physical act and a spiritual act taking place. When the Bible tells us to curse, not to curse, but to bless, okay? We're using our tongue, physical, But we're not saying things that are just physical. We're saying spiritual things about someone, okay? So we should never live in this this fallacy of of division here. It's, It's really inappropriate for us to think that way.
The different types of adultery, spiritual adultery, we talked about that a little bit, which is lust or unfaithfulness to God. Physical adultery, okay? Unlawful sex, a violation of the seventh commandment. Idolatrous worship, which is adultery against God, comes in many forms. Okay, when we lust after someone, we commit spiritual adultery. If sex is participated in outside of the marriage covenant, we commit physical adultery. Either one of these are a violation of also of the first commandment, making a God out of our evil desire, being unfaithful to the Lord. He said, I'm the Lord, your God. You'll have no other gods before me. When we have that inordinate, insatiable desire, and we act on it. That's our God at that moment, right? We're making another God. So this equates to having another God before him. And as we see, the lawless breaking of the seventh commandment also leads to the breaking of the eighth. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Okay? When a man takes another man's wife, you are unlawfully taking a woman who does not belong to you. Okay? So when we, we should think about this when our desires come into our heart that are, this is unlawful. God has not commanded me this. This is not expressing love for my God. So what's the answer? Therefore, you need to repent. I need to repent when these things happen. Okay? Also, the 10th commandment. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's goods. So you think about that. This vile and comprehensive sin, the breaking of the 7th commandment of the Decalogue, includes the breaking of the 1st, the 8th, and the 10th as well. Okay? When we read that verse... In Matthew uh, 7, all those sins were listed there. All those sins were listed there, okay? And the same thing happens again in Ephesians. The only way we're safe from these sins is the atoning person and work of Jesus Christ. Him granting us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand, which will lead to obedience for the Christian. Not perfect obedience, not perfect repentance, okay? But when we fly to Christ, something happens to us. If you knew me over 22, 23 years ago, you would be like, what? <laughs> you think there's no hope for this, this man. I would have never thought I'd be sitting in a church, desiring to go to church. When I first got saved, I used to be like, something happened to me. I was like, why do I want to keep going to this place? Why do I want to keep reading this Bible, you know, and my wife, I think Annie's probably old enough to remember, but the rest of my kids, they only know dad one way. It's not that dad doesn't sin because I do, but God restrains sin in the Christian household, in the life of the believer, because God, even obedience is a gift from God and it comes and flows from grace. Question 76, what is required in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment requireth the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. Chastity, also known as fidelity or faithfulness. Where does it begin? In our hearts. Faithfulness to God has to come from the heart. Speech and behavior towards God. And neighbors are imperative. 
Obedience to the law on adultery is what is required in the seventh commandment. First Corinthians seven, verse two, it says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Paul's instruction to the Corinthians was involving the remedy to sexual immorality in which there was no shortage in that day, as is the case today. Even here at First Family Church, a man is to have his own wife and a wife is to have her own husband. Now, remember, this is not a mandate to get married, but a solution to the problem of sexual sin. OK, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. OK, some people cannot be married. OK, most people need to be married or else they're going to sin against God. OK, and we're going to see further and flush out the the remedy to this. I don't like to just say, well, you shouldn't do this. Well, God gives us so much more instruction on how to not do this and why to not do this. OK. So in verse two, it's because of sexual immorality. In verse three, he gives us the remedy. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife, her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. I need to say that again. <laughs> no, I say it because it, it repeats it, but the other way. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, so there's a lot of manipulation that goes on in our marriages, okay? And as my wife sits there, I'm sorry, but I'm going to just tell it like it is. It does happen, okay? It does happen. It could be finances. It could be, oh, you know, we're arguing. Oh, well, I'm going to bed and, or I'm doing this until I get my way. Nothing going on. Well, that's sin. That's sin. We should not weaponize affection we should never weaponize affection amen we should not but we do it we do it and it's called manip it's called sin okay we shouldn't do that i mean but it happens right it's like i'll give you what you want when i get what i want i mean that's not christianity i scratch you scratch my back after i scratch yours that's paganism that's paganism so a man is to give his wife the affection that she is due. Love your wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. This is the way our Lord has prescribed that we are to be satisfied and content in our marriages. Okay? And it doesn't, that's not the root of our marriage. Christ is. Everything must be rooted in Christ. But when it comes to our overcoming these illicit sexual desires, it has to be done God's way. When it's done our way, it's like, Lord, I know you said all that, but man, this woman you gave me is making me mad. Well, now we're going back to blaming God again. Okay? We have got to realize that when the joy of the Lord is not our strength, then we will not be content with our spouse. It's that simple. If the joy of the Lord is not your strength, because what happens when, if 
I keep slinging manure on my wife and there's no way for me to stop. I'm in sin. Then she better have Christ as her hope and vice versa. And the same goes for everybody else. We have to have the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength because we will fail each other and our hearts will be prone to sin. We constantly need this reminder. Okay. I hope we never think I, I've made it. I've, I'm growing and I've kind of grown this. It doesn't work that way. Okay. It does not work that way. Okay. Because God has given us the remedy. It's making love. It's sex. And sex is great. I say that with my children right here. Okay, you want to know why? Because God created sex. God created sex to be enjoyed to his glory, his way. My kids always say, Dad, you're so weird. I'm trying to be biblical. Yeah, I'm trying to be biblical, young man. You can call me a weirdo all you want right now. There's only one way for it to take place, and that's in the confines of marriage. Nowhere else. Okay? And we have this, this shamefulness because of our sin. Because of our sin. But when it comes to our marriages, may God help us to obey him in these areas. Okay? So we see that married couples, you do not have authority over our own bodies. We do not. Okay? Wives. The husband has authority. We're not to deprive each other. Our marriages are a picture of Christ in his church. And we are to glorify him in this sacred and holy covenant as God's bride first and foremost. Okay? We are to be faithful to God. And I'm very thankful. I must say that I came to know the Lord through my wife. God has blessed my marriage. We've had ups and downs, but... I remember when when I got saved, it was like there was a lot of rockiness. And then the Lord just started blessing our closeness and we became really good friends. Now, that's not to say that we don't ever have problems. Okay, we argue and all just like any other couple. Okay, but I know that I love my wife very dearly. And she's sitting right there and I'll say that, honey, I love you. And she's my best friend. And after all these years, she still makes my heart dance and flutter. And that's how it should be. That's how it should be in a marriage. And when it's not, <laughs> it's one word for you. Repent. Repent. Okay? We should adore our spouses. And if we don't, repent. Repent. Men, date your wives. Spend time with them at home alone. Okay, tell the kids, go to bed. Put the kids to bed. Sometimes my wife and I stay up till 3, 4 in the morning. You know why? No kids around. <laughs> you need that. I need that. We all need that, that are married. Okay? And don't think that unmarried people, that this is all just about just marriage, okay? Something will come up for you shortly here that the Lord has. We are to love our wives if we're to glorify God. Dr. Vody Bauckham said in his series on marriage, it is absolutely inexcusable for a man who follows Christ to stop loving his wife. You want to open yourself up to the sin of adultery, to the sin of lust, to all those things? Okay, have a rocky marriage. You want to have your prayers hindered? Okay. Don't love your wife. Don't dwell with your wife in peace. 
Okay? Your prayers will be hindered, the Lord has said. Okay? Be satisfied in Christ and rejoice in him for the wife that God has provided you. Wives, do the same in your husband. This is God's plan for us to have victory in this life over adultery. This is God's plan. Now, we know that it's our ultimate victory is in Christ. But we can overemphasize and say, well, and then become antinomians. Well, we're, yeah, we're saved by grace. Yes, we are. Amen. No arguments there. But God has commanded us something. God has commanded us to love him and to obey him and to have victory in this life and to lift up the banner of Christ, not pointing to ourselves, but pointing to him. Okay. Pay close attention how the apostle declares this for this. This is first John five, beginning in verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That word, Nikao again, it's where we get the word Nike. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that has conquered or overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes or conquers the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God? The believer should have power, the power of the spirit resting upon and resting in us on our lives because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is how this should look. Okay, turn to Proverbs 5, 15. I had a good discussion with uh, a brother of mine about this recently. Proverbs 5, 15. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? We are to draw from our own wells. Okay, and what's the imagery here? It means to be satisfied in our marriages as that the Lord God has provided for us. Letting our fountain be blessed. God commands us to let our wife's breast satisfy us like a loving deer and a graceful dog. Okay? It's talking about sex. That's what it's talking about. Okay? And it's talking about how to be satisfied in your marriage. Okay, all you kids are giggling and all that, but you got here somehow. It wasn't the tooth fairy. Okay? It's cabbage patch. Cabbage patch. <laughs> it was a stork, right, Bubba? <laughs> we're to, that word enraptured, it means we're to be intoxicated with the love of our spouse, not another, not the immoral seductress, but our wife enraptured means intoxicated with the love of our spouse. Okay, don't forget that. Don't forget that. 
That is a beautiful thing because God is the author of marriage. And this is the remedy to adultery, contentment in Christ and what Christ has provided for us. Okay. Now, we aren't to neglect our marriages ever. Now, for the unmarried, it's coming up right here in a minute. In 1 Corinthians 7, 34, there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. See, the problem is a lot of married women say, oh, I got to do the unmarried woman role. And I got to run to the Lord and forget all about you, buddy. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It just means that married and unmarried women, there's a little bit, there's a distinction in their roles. And I would say the married woman has more on her load, but God is gracious to her. God is gracious to wives, okay? He understands we can't have this checkbox mentality, whether it's men or women that, oh, well, I don't want to be worldly, so I don't care about the things of the world, so I'm going to forsake my wife. It does not work that way, okay? It does not work that way. Okay, prayer, thanksgiving, feeding on God's word, those are things both for the married and the unmarried woman. But a married woman also, she who's married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Okay, but pleasing her husband is pleasing to Christ. You're not being disobedient by pleasing your husband. You're obeying Christ. Okay, so we must understand that the wife and the husband must balance these things. It doesn't mean that you lift up your spouse on an idol and forget about Christ. But it doesn't mean that you forget about your spouse either. Okay? You are to do all the things that uh, an unmarried woman does. But God is gracious with a married couple to understand that we are going to spend time together. We're supposed to. God commands us to. So... Verse 36, and this one was a little bit difficult. I consulted, uh, I really liked what the ESV study Bible said. It said, but if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. So the ESV states that if his passions are strong, translates a difficult word, hyperochmos. That can also mean past one's prime when it is used in reference to a woman. The SV translation is preferable, however, because it is consistent with Paul's responding in verses 2 and 3 and 9 that it would be strange for Paul to give permission to marry only when women are past their prime. That wouldn't make sense, right? So, and it has to be probably refers to a sense of both moral and physical necessity to get married. Paul's comment is not intended as a disapproval of marriage. That's why it makes sense. So I didn't like some of the commentaries were just all over the place on that. Now you guys probably help me out later on it. Um, but there are ways to glorify Christ. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be married to glorify the Lord. That's not what I'm saying here. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, And those who are unmarried glorify him similar. But we're all commanded to be pure. We are all commanded to be pure and obedient. So is our speech. Colossians 4, 6. So is our speech. Okay, 
You want to guard your heart? You better bridle your tongue. You better bridle your tongue. James says if whoever can bridle his tongue is a perfect man. Okay? Now, obviously, perfect in context, right? But our speech has a lot to do with how we think. You know, you can almost tell what kingdom somebody is from by the way they talk. After a while, you hear just the intent. doesn't mean Christians don't swear, which we shouldn't, okay? But when you hear people that are just constantly glorifying sin and no conviction at all, no repentance necessary, and they're lifting up sin, they're like, well, that does not sound like a Christian to me, all right? Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Our speech is to be always gracious and seasoned. Flavored speech, salt has taste and causes one to thirst. And we are to supply living water to those who are thirsty. And that living water is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This imagery is a picture of how we are to be used of the Lord to cause others to fulfill their desire when they thirst. What we're exercising is a grace that God gives us. Knowing how we ought to conduct ourselves in these matters. Getting down there. 1 Peter 3, 2. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Faithful conduct is accompanied, should be accompanied by fear. What fear? The fear of the Lord. So there's such a misunderstanding of the fear of the Lord. You know, people just think, oh, it's just this reverence of God. You know, yeah, it is a reverence of God. But it's also, it's also a healthy fear, like a heightened awareness of the holiness of God. It does not just mean that I just reverence God like I do my parent. No, no, no. God is all powerful, omnipresent. Okay, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the good and the evil. You are not going to deceive God. So you need to know that the Lord is near. But you also need to have this understanding that God is holy and you're not. I'm not. And that with that holiness... God is good, and you're not, and I'm not. So you know what that means, right? When you get away from God, you better be afraid, buddy. Because God is not your buddy or some dude on the street. You can just be like, yeah, dude, you better shut up. It don't work that way. God, his justice, his righteousness, all of his attributes flow out of his holiness. He is not like us. He is not like us. And I'm so thankful he's not like us, right? When we sing that song, who is like the Lord our God? Nobody is. So when we have the fear of the Lord, we better understand, you're not going to go up on some 50-story building and stand on the ledge and be like, ha ha, look at all that down there, man. You'd be a fool to do that, right? You'd be a fool to do that. Why do we play with God like that? Why do we test God like he's not going to do nothing to protect his name? 
God's name, he takes glory in his name and not another. So when we proclaim the name of Christ, we better understand something. Our private thoughts are not private. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Okay? We better stop treating God like some common thing. Okay? And that's all of us. Because there's no hiding from God. Okay? We know this. But with regard to that heightened awareness, that fear, God is immutable. And we know, those of us who are familiar with our Bible, God has killed his own people for his name. Okay? When I was reading through, uh, I gave up on my one year Bible, but I decided to stay in the Old Testament. I started, I started, Nick's over here laughing at me. I did. I, I just was like, man, this is so. I got like 10 days behind. I just couldn't hack it. So I said, I'm going to stay in the Old Testament. But it just kept hitting me about Nadab and Abihu when he said, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And among all the people, I must be glorified. When you come into this sanctuary and worship and gather, this is not a different God. This is the same God. This is the same God that fire went out from that altar and vaporized those men. Okay, so when we come playing church, we better understand something. God has made an example out of saints throughout history and that we have recorded in, in, in Scripture. Okay, I like what Joe Moorcraft said. He said, God is in the business of killing people. And you better be thankful he has not killed you. And that applies to me too. Okay, grace is not cheap. It costs Christ everything for us to have grace. So a heightened awareness of the Lord, yes, that is in focus with the fear of God. So when it comes to the sin of adultery, we need to remember our eyes, our thoughts, our ears, our tongue, the flesh is our enemy. And we have to battle it every day. Like David said, my sin is always before me. Okay, sometimes we're going to fail. Sometimes we're going to fail. And I fail. I failed earlier today. Failed yesterday. That's why we get on our knees and confess our sins to God regularly, keeping short accounts with God, understanding that when we walk in the flesh and we're not in prayer, we're basically saying, God, you know what? All these sins, I know you died for them, but I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I got this. I don't need you today. Then going days and days without prayer, you're walking in the flesh. You need to repent. You need to get on your knees and pray. You need to seek God. We cannot presume on his grace. So please don't understand what I'm saying. That this fear of God, we don't obey him because we're afraid of hell. That's work salvation. That's heresy. I don't want to go to hell. That's what I do. I hear unsaved people say it all the time. I'm like, well, you're going to hell unless you repent. When you keep talking like that, that's how your thoughts are. You are trying to appease God with your works. There's no work, no matter works in the world that's going to appease God. You need the work of Christ. It's how unregenerate people think. And as Christians, may God help us to understand that God is for us. This should encourage us. 
as we battle the sins of the mind and of the heart that lead to adultery, that lead to improper speech, that lead to improper impure conduct and thoughts and idolatry. And all these sins are lumped together. God has spoken to us on this matter and how to conquer them. First Peter 3, 13 says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in the as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, in fear. The loins of our mind are generating power, thoughts, and they're to be restrained. We're to keep every thought captive. And we are to rest fully upon God's grace as revealed in Christ. Living out our lives, practicing holiness, being set apart people as we call on the name of the Lord. Having our conduct through this time on this earth being in fear. Knowing God is with us. Everywhere we go, he lives in us. Okay, Having this healthy understanding of God's holiness and his righteousness being displayed in our conduct because God is good always and he will deal with sin. His chastising hand, when it comes upon us, we should have reverence and respect for it. Why? Because it's a mark that we belong to God. Look what he told the Laodiceans in Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. When that chastisement falls upon us, it's a mark of sonship. We should be very grateful for it, okay, not to despise it, okay? And our response should be fear God and depart from evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. And that should be our motivation, to love God and obey him. We don't always do that. We need to constantly be reminded of this, especially when it comes to the sin of adultery because it's so comprehensive, So when we think about these sins, I think we, as we get to question 77, I always like to think of Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, okay? Sin is not just walking down the street, going to the gym, going to Costco, seeing uh, a guy with his shirt off and his six-pack abs or a woman who's scantily dressed and you know, showing everything. Pornonia. It's on your phone. It's on your TV. I'm not saying you're downloading porn, but what about the soft porn that comes on TV with undressed people? Our hearts are always going to be challenged with this. Okay? Always. So Romans 6, when it says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I think it's a really good thing to Practice good habits to look up and look down and look away. Those are good things. Okay. I used to see, I remember when I first got saved, I was so just ignorant of so many different things. I always think of this guy who came in 7-Eleven and I was with my wife's cousin and 
he came storming out of there. It's like, oh, no, I'm getting out of here. And we were laughing like, look at this crazy fool. And what do we see? A scantily dressed woman. And we were laughing at him. We didn't know any better. That the Bible says flee. It doesn't say stay there and reason with it and fight. Flee, run. Okay, learn how to train yourself. I need to learn how to continue to train myself. And no matter how many times you think you have it down, got to battle it every day. So what's forbidden in the seventh commandment? Unchaste thoughts. Sounds like we're covering some of those, right? Words and actions. Matthew 5, uh, 15, 19. Okay, we addressed this earlier. Out of the mouth, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, Okay. The heart and the mind are the origin of our sin, Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Same thing applies to a woman looking at a man. Notice it doesn't say married or unmarried, right? All these sins overlap. Ephesians 5, 3, but fornication... And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, which is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Okay, this is the same as Colossians 4, 6. These lawless deeds of rebellion are all lumped together. And they all, if left unchecked, will be consummated. In the physical sin of adultery, if you are sitting here tonight and think that this can't happen to you, you're being very foolish. Okay, God brought me out of the world in my early 30s, and I'm so grateful he did. Because the longer you go in sin, I'll tell you, young people especially, keep yourselves pure. Keep yourselves in the love of Jesus, okay? I tell you, there's so many thoughts us older people can tell you that once those images and those thoughts come in your mind, you are stuck battling them for the rest of your life. Okay. And then when we fall back into sin and feed that flesh again, it's a battle all over again. Okay. This is real. This is not a game. Okay. But praise be to God that he's sovereign over all of it. And we can look to him and truly have victory. Okay, I'm not trying to discourage anyone who may be in here battling this tonight. Okay, this is a battle. And I'm with you. I'm telling you, I battle it too. And there are times I don't have victory. And you know what? The, the remedy is always the same. It's the same. It's if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The righteous man will fall down seven times and get up again. And if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Because like I said, I, you sin, imagine what your elders must deal with when they have some sin going on and they still got to get up here and preach. And they're like, man, I'm so unworthy. Why am I going to get up there today? Well, if that's the case, this thing will be vacant, right? Wouldn't anybody get up here? Okay. Look how Job battled this. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Okay, women, make this same covenant with your eyes. Okay, why should I look upon a man? Okay, that look he meant to lust after her, to desire her. Remember, insatiably. We learned that earlier in the Greek. It's, it's an inordinate, uncontrollable desire. 
And this is something we really need to, to battle against in the spirit. Okay, Ephesians 6. David had the same similar type of covenant. Psalm 101.3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Okay, David was determined to make sure that he didn't do this. Now, I, I wanted to study this happened after or before the sin with Bathsheba, okay? But I forgot to do that part, sorry. We say, oh, David's the king of Israel. That doesn't apply to me. Another foolish thing to say. We're kings and priests to our God. We are ambassadors to the kingdom, okay? So we need to understand that we are God's representatives on this planet, and so these things definitely apply to us. David hated the work of those who were falling away, as so should we, because we know what it'll do to us. The wages of sin is death. It destroys a perverse heart. We need to desire to depart from it. This is the, this is the repentance that's biblical repentance. Okay, It's fleeing sin, confessing sin, forsaking sin. It's a constant process that will never end until we're in glory. Having a desire to not know wickedness. Adultery is wickedness. Okay, David found that out the hard way, didn't he? Okay, and the sword never left his house. And he lost the son because of it, okay? You want to keep playing around with sin? If I want to keep playing around with sin, just keep playing patty cake with it, and it will destroy you, okay? My, one of my favorite books, John Owen. You know, the mortification of sin. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Okay, we are to owe no one anything except for love. To love one another. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Sounds like all the stuff we've covered tonight, right? You shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. Okay? Think about that. Can't say, hey, I love you, brother. I sure would like your wife. Well, you're trying to harm me if that's the case. I would be trying to harm you if that was the case. Okay? May God help us to really keep these thoughts captive. All these changes that happen in societies, these shifts, God does not change. He told that. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, you're not consumed because he made promises. God is a promise keeper. They would have long been dead if God did not keep his promises. You and I would have long been dead if God did not keep his promises. Okay, we are to take this sin Serious, to cut it out, pluck it out, cut it off. Because as James addressed the covenant people of God, what did he say to them? Oh, you law keepers. Oh, he said, you adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to make himself a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. They were not putting to death the flesh in some sense. Why would he address them that way? Okay. And it's in our hearts. When we draw alliances with the world and its philosophy, we're not aligning ourselves with God. And God's not okay with that. 
And any times we're conducting ourselves that way, repentance is the answer. Flying to Christ. Flying to Christ. Okay, memorize scripture. That's helped me a ton. When I'm in spiritual warfare and I'm being defeated at times, I have to call on the Lord. His word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Spend time memorizing the word of God. He will be your help in a time of need. For if you live by the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Okay? It's not some work salvation. It's not taught in the Bible. It's practically speaking telling you how to war against sin. Okay? Sin kills. It destroys. Don't live by it. It will kill you. It will kill me if I live by it. It's destructive pleasures have an effect on our physical bodies. Okay? It's a good time for us to consider this before we close. And I know I went kind of far. No conviction of sin, no desire, no struggle against sin, no desire to be free from sin means you haven't been made alive. If you never have that desire to seek God, never have a conviction of sin, it's okay. You minimize it. You're not a believer. And if you are wondering about this, 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you indeed are a dokimoi, reprobate. But I trust that you will know that you are not a dokimoi, reprobates, worthless. The people of God are precious in the sight of God because of Christ. We're not worthless. Okay, we're not worthless. We're not like a candy wrapper that you throw in the trash. Okay, we mean something because of Christ. So if you have no convictions of this, you better examine yourself. Okay, and that applies to all of us when we fall into sin. We need to stand fast in the liberty in which Christ has made us free and not be entangled again into the yoke of bondage. Because the son has set us free. And I'll end with this. When Paul said to the church in Rome, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logicane latrios. It's your reasonable service. It's the most logical thing you can do is to present your body a living sacrifice because of the mercy you have received in Christ. And may God help us to war against these things. And to repent of the self-righteousness that is in us at times. Okay? Because there are times when we don't walk in the spirit. We walk in the flesh. And we do do those things. Okay? I do those things. And if you are sitting here thinking, I don't do those things, you're wrong. You do those things too. Why do you think God says it so many times in scripture if we didn't do those things? Because we do those things. And for those of you who come here, or maybe someone who may hear this on a podcast who thinks, oh, I grew up in church. I'm okay with that. No, you're not. Okay? You better think of it this way. When Jesus heard it, he said to them in Mark 2.17, those who are well have no need of a physician, only those who are sick. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so I'll take questions now. Sorry, I went way over, but we still got almost 15 minutes. Supposed to be done by 7.30, brother. I know, but that's what I...
You need to give me a message like a week before and not like three weeks, and then I won't. It's your fault. <laughs> it's this pastor you gave me. <laughs> All right, so I'll take questions. Any comments? You don't have to have a question. But could beat me up. several times uh, that there's a great danger in like thinking of the spiritual and the physical as separate. Can you kind of go into that a little bit more? Like, what do you mean by the great dangers in separating those two? Yes. So I think the great dangers are, I think that when people, there is a spirit world and we look at the fact that we don't see the spirit world, right? God communicates us through literary devices. He uses allegory. He uses imagery. He uses hyperbole, right? And unregenerate people, they fail to see those things because they can't. They're unregenerate. They can't appraise the things of the Spirit of God, right? But we can. And so we know that our hermeneutics are pretty consistent when we start interpreting things like, well, Jesus is a lamb, but he's not a lamb. He's a sacrifice, right? So we get that. But when it comes to sexual sin, and we talk about all those sins, like the, the verse where it says, all the sins that a man commits, he commits them outside of his body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own soul. So there is a, <laughs> excuse me, there's a metaphysical, immaterial aspect of lust that takes place. We don't actually touch something to lust all the time, right? Um, anger, rage, like outbursts of wrath. These things are done metaphysically. They are done in immaterially, right? So there's a connection from the spirit but when we get in a rage, you look at our expressions. There's something that has changed in us that makes us not sound anymore, that makes us unmitigated wrath. Like even Ephesians when it's, or Galatians 5, when it talks about outbursts of wrath, those, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? As regenerate people, we do need to understand that we are in these like Peter said, I've not yet put off this tabernacle as my Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. So there are times when we commit sin and they intersect when it's physical and spiritual. So I think sometimes when we divorce those things, we end up thinking that I'm okay in this area and I'm okay in that area because I haven't really touched a woman. But we forget about all the things that we've done in our heart and our mind in the metaphysical realm. So Isn't that one of the reasons you think that pornography is such an today is because yes. and in the church because a lot of Christians convince themselves that well I didn't actually commit adultery this is better than actually going out and finding a woman when in reality yeah. they're just committing yeah. spiritual adultery constantly and mm -hmm. it's, it's having the same impact on their soul and their relationship with the Lord so we, we do have to be very careful not to separate those two out because what it does is it creates an artificial hiding place that's no hiding place at all yeah. he sees the heart he sees the thoughts of the mind he sees the desires so we, we need to be honest with ourselves and not try to fool ourselves into thinking that that's some second-tier sin because we didn't actually do it with our, our, you know, with our body. The, the heart is where it begins. Absolutely. And they destroy us in ways that we don't see. Like, I, I can confess to you guys that before I was a Christian, I was in bondage to pornography for so many decades, like a long time, from a teenager all the way through college. And when the Lord finally got a hold of me. I was so angry at how it had destroyed my life. And, you know, I'm a very outgoing person, but 
There's studies, even secular studies, that say that it makes people non-social. And so when you start taking an extrovert like me and closing me off where I don't want to be around people, you start really messing me up bad. And there's ways where other people don't see that. Where, I can't remember the verse, but when it talks about one sin and then it leads to a plethora of all kinds of other sins, which we saw in some of these verses, I think pornography is so deceptive because we want that gratification. And even people, excuse me, who don't watch it, They'll sit there and they will lust after somebody who they're not married to and they will do it for such a long time and they'll think, well, nobody sees this. And it's destroying you. It's destroying you. I mean, the Bible even says that you have destroyed yourself. I think that's in the Psalms. And there's times when we're destroying ourselves and we really need that accountability. If you have that sin going on, reach out to a brother or sister. I know it's so humiliating. But you know what? So is being humble. Humble pie involves humiliation, okay? We're not trying to lift up ourselves. We're trying to lift up Christ, okay? So I can get up here and tell you that I'm rotten. And I I want my kids to hear very much as I tell them at home, I'm rotten and I need your forgiveness at times. Well, we need the Lord's forgiveness. And so when we make these divisions, man, they just lead to all kinds of problems. I saw Brendan's hand. Yeah, so a question on, so how would you say that a man and woman respectively should be dating in modern day today? I very much endorse what Vody has said. Um, I don't think, uh, <laughs> my brother in the back used to have this bumper sticker, Dads Against Dating, right? And I really like that because secular dating is, is, is daughters against, dads against daughters dating, right? Okay. <laughs> little hypocrisy there right i think the same way with boys it's like if my boys want to date someone it better be for one reason you ain't going to the buffet you ain't ordering appetizers dude this is going to be the woman for you from god that you are trusting that the lord that you're going to say he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the lord it's going to be for one purpose to glorify christ through this marriage a provision that, that God has placed right here. And if it isn't that, it's not some, you know, I'll be square mall, let's go shopping, right? It's not the swap meet, dude. And a lot of people have that, you know, I even hear people say, date as many as you can. And I'm like, man, that's foolish, right? So secular dating, like I was just listening to a lecture the other day, we was talking about, we have these fallacies just, just, just like completely built into us where, your kid's 16, it's time for them to drive. They're 18, they're an adult now. They're 21, they can drink. And I was like, oh man. And we do stuff just like the world does, unfortunately. And dating is one of them, okay? And I've had a lot of wars with a lot of people where they were like, oh, you let your kids do this. You're so wrong. And I'm like, aren't you so glad they're my kids and not yours? In other words, get out of my business. <laughs> Anybody else? Gregory. You know, I was having a conversation with a friend of ours, Dennis, on the way over here. Yeah. And we were talking about uh, something totally different, but it hit me as we were sitting here. We know God sometimes reveals things to us through a dream, right? Special revelation. What about uh, unconscious, wicked dream, right? And 
Is that something that's a manifestation of our heart that we need to repent from? Or is that just a random shot in the dark that it just happened? Or has it got to be consistent? I was just kind of curious what you thought about that. Well, dreams are one of those tricky things that uh, when it's wickedness, I just try to like ask the Lord to remove it from my mind because then it will turn into something that I need to repent of, right? But I don't think it's necessarily, we don't have any control over our dreams as far as I know. So it's almost like when you walk down the street, if you know someone jumps in and cuts you off, if you say a bad word, I mean, yeah, you should not do that, right? But if you keep, and I'm like, I'm going to follow this fool and I'm going to get into this road rage, I'm going to beat this guy up. Now you've gone from, from two to 20, okay? I think that, yes, so there's sometimes when I have dreams that are wicked and I'm asking the Lord for forgiveness like I'm the one that did it, right? So it's a little bit different than the road rage thing. But I don't really, I don't know. I know the Lord has worked through dreams. I'm not trying to put God in a box and so that he can. I think that people have visions or see things. But if it contradicts the Bible, then I'm not comfortable with that. But as far as the temptation part, that's a tricky one. I just, I try to ask the Lord to remove that just like my old images in my mind. Or even ones that I struggle with, you know, because, um, you know, meditating on on bad things that happen in dreams can really trigger people into all kinds of sins. So I get one caution in that, Greg, is that the mind of sinful man is so dynamic in its desire to find a way to keep sin alive in their lives. That there's a temptation there to say, well, I'm not in control of my dreams, so whatever sexual weirdness goes on in my dreams, well, I don't have to repent of that. That's not a big deal because it's out of my hands. And we can almost try to like carve out a little safe place for sin to happen in our lives. And I would, I would say that your conscience is going to bear uh, uh, the truth, whether that dream is something you're desiring and you're reveling in, uh, or whether it's something that just came upon you and you didn't have a control over because I think sometimes you can control your dreams to a degree and if nothing else you have prayer you can go to the Lord if you're having a reoccurring dream that's inappropriate I would definitely be on your knees every night Lord please strike this dream from my my conscience mm -hmm. let my, my sleep be pleasing to you mm -hmm. let every bit of my existence be for your glory and you know if I have this dream then somehow give me the power to resist and to stop and to stand holy in, 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 your, in your dreams even because that's God's kingdom too. Mm. So uh, I'm not saying that you need to walk around with constant guilt if you have like crazy dreams and you have no power over it. But don't count that as an unspiritual realm. That yeah. doesn't really matter. It is, right. It's all spiritual, right? So even yeah. your dreams deserve prayer and mm -hmm. deserve reflection of the Lord. Yeah, and they need to be fled from. Like I definitely agree. They need to be fled from when you start having them and they're frequent. Then you know there's something to that and that you don't want it to be frequent ask ask the lord to stop those yes i believe it can be so you know we go on our daily business we fight these things off but then at night you could end up you know you've ever had those rooms well, it might not be that it could be something else but you've woken up in the morning you're like oh my that was wicked or you know yeah. that demon or whatever that was or me beating michael jordan in basketball right whatever <laughs> you, you know those things can really i don't mind that one <laughs> that ain't gonna never happen. <laughs> I think there are manifestations sometimes of what we have going on in our heart, maybe on that particular day. Yeah. Or whatever. And, um, yeah. Yeah. They're tricky, but yeah, I think, like Nick was saying, there's a lot to them that we know that should be repented of, and God is sovereign over that realm. 
I just, I'd be cautious to say that, you know, there isn't, like, I remember I had a wicked dream a couple of weeks ago where it was so powerful. I just was like, I got to get out of this. And like, I woke up out of it, but I had to use the bathroom and I was just like, I stayed awake for a minute because, you know, sometimes you can go back to sleep and pick right up where the dreams at. I was like, I'm staying awake for this. Never. Yeah, it's always the bad ones, right? You go right back to it. So I drank some really cold ice water and sat there for a few minutes and I was like, okay, Lord help me. I don't not want to see that again. And so I laid down and boop, I was out and it was time to get up for work. So we got time for one more, I think. Um, well, I'll have that one, but uh, yeah, Christine and then Brendan. What about dreams that you have that like will come true? I don't know about that. I don't know. I haven't had any dreams that have like come true. Um, I know there's no such thing as coincidences, but I've seen people. I've dreamed about people, and then I've seen those people like, um, like, like I bumped into them. But I've also dreamed about people who are dead. I don't think that means I'm gonna see them again in this life. I know that doesn't mean that. So, what do you mean by that? Something's going to happen to somebody, mm-hmm. and it does. So, are you are you like deja vu, or are you thinking going beyond that? Like, well, they're trying. He's trying to keep it in a context of of of, of adultery. So, no, I mean she's asking a separate question. That's fine. Yeah. Dreams that come true, you know, that's a tough one. I would. That, um, somebody you haven't seen in a while. Or even like your grandmother. You dream that they die. And then they die. And then they do die. You know, um... Wouldn't that be the devil mm, in you? No, not necessarily. No, I don't think I, so. And then you'll dream of somebody else dying and they don't die. It's right. It doesn't really carry a lot of weight. So yeah. I would not put a lot of weight in dreams. I, I, don't, I don't think they're a picture of like... Special revelation to us Mm-mm. most of the time. I think we see a couple examples in the scripture where God uses them in a, in a vision sense, but we don't have indication that God's given any new revelation now. So, Mm-mm. if anything, if God's speaking to you through a dream, He's pointing you to the things He's already showed you in the Word. So just trust the Word. Yes. You need a special interpreter. Or, no. It's not fuzzy so picture. It's not like the devil working in you then? Trying no. To you? no. Well, for, we know as believers, the devil cannot work in a believer. He can oppress us, but he cannot possess us, right? So dreams are tricky. We don't know a lot about them, but I would agree with everything Nick said that, you know, trust the Lord. There's no new revelation. There's going to be some strange things that we can't really explain or understand, but just makes for looking forward to glory (laughs) because all those things will be revealed then. What'd you say? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It's it's a fallen world, too. Yeah, so uh, my question is, uh, so... Of course, uh, lately the world has been viewing that, you know, sexuality should be introduced from K to third grade, mm-hmm. um, whatnot. And of course, a lot of believers that I've heard is like, that's, kids are not supposed to be thinking about that kind of stuff. No, they're not. So when should a parent start introducing those topics to their kids? Then? I would say it's up to the parent, but, um, you know, we touch on them. We don't go into detail, but I've had some devotions where we've discussed sexuality Biblical sexuality. Um, there's only I don't like gender. I, I think I think it was Paul just preaching on that recently. I like sex. There's male and female. God created 
them, you know, in the image of him, he created them, male and female, right? So, um, I will, like, as things come up and the kids start going, ooh, <laughs> laughing, right? I mean, I'll address those things and they'll blush and we'll talk about them, but we won't go into deep detail. I'm not a fan of, uh, I'm so thankful my kids are either Christian school or homeschool because I remember sex ed and it was so barbarically graphic. I was just like, mm. you know, I don't need to know those things. And those things can be a problem. You know, words mean something. And I think there are things we should be very careful with the way we articulate what we're saying, especially with children, because their ears and their minds do not understand those things. Right. And I think God wants there to be innocence, even when there there's a marriage that takes place in the bedroom. God has a way of teaching you know, even where we have fell short and you don't have to be graphic about it, but I think that, yes, you should, but I would pray about it because all kids are different and I would definitely keep it on the holy and vanilla side because that's important, you know. The Bible talks about sexuality all the time, but it uses a lot of discretion. There's much euphemism and we, we joke about like like a gazelle, you know, or, yeah. you know. The, the kind of descriptions that Song of Solomon uses, it seems kind of goofy to us, but it's because mm-hmm. God is respecting sexuality. It's mm-hmm. not making it a graphic, pornographic thing. Yes. So just speak gently with your children. But I would really caution, especially if your kids are going to be exposed to the world. If your kids are in public school, you better talk about it to them a lot earlier than yes. you just think you need to. Because they're yeah. going to hear it from their teacher. They're going to hear it from their, their classmates. So... They need to get that mm-hmm. wisdom from you before somebody else gets a chance to lay a foundation. Absolutely. Um, this is what sexuality is. So don't shy away from it, but but help your kids to know that the, the Word is not ashamed of this stuff. The Word talks about it and talk about it with dignity and really establish that mindset and that, that mentality in their hearts when they're young mm-hmm. so that it doesn't become this, you know, this secret thing that their friends are telling them about. Yes. Dad never mentioned. That's right. And that's the part that I, I, I'm glad you brought that up, brother, that we definitely guard against. There are a lot of times when I've heard my kids say stuff, and I'm like, well, where did you learn that? You didn't learn that in this house, okay? And you see, and I, I will point to the work God has done in my marriage, and I'll say, do you hear me coming around here talking about all this nonsense that these fools are talking about? Or do you hear me reverencing and respecting your mother, okay? Those are the things that God, when he gives us that precious testimonies like fine gold, we should point to the work of Christ in our lives and say, God gets glory for this. And guess what? This is how God has commanded you to live also. And, you know, stay away from all of that stuff. And when they're, if you don't address them, just like Nick said, somebody's going to come and fill in the blanks. And it's 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 going to be the wrong, you took the words out of my mouth. It's going to be the wrong blanks that you did not want. And I'm sorry, but a lot of Christians, me not growing up in church, think that they're holier by not ever talking about it. And that is a way wrong way of thinking. You're not preparing, because you're not preparing your children for what's out there. They need to be living witnesses and to eventually give their lives to Christ. Absolutely. It's part of discipleship. Yeah, Yeah. because I've been their kids that this is what's going to happen in the world when you face these things. Absolutely. My wife grew up that way. And <laughs> we still battle. We're like, honey, that's okay. No, it ain't. Well, who told you that ain't okay? Well, it ain't okay. <laughs> but see, when you grow up in a legalistic environment where sex is evil and you're not really teaching what the word is teaching, 
You're teaching some legalistic nonsense, some tradition that someone gave you you thought was good, and it's not. So we'll end on that, but uh, appreciate all the questions. Okay. Hey, John.